The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, check out shares of Boeing. The stock down 12% at the lows of the session, but managing to pair some of those losses after a second deadly crash involving one particular model. We've got the details on that developing story. Plus, some of Wall Street's most hated stocks are surging this year. You will not believe the names the traders think could run even higher. But we start off with the market rally today, and it was the NASDAQ really taking off up about 2%, having its best day since January 30th. And look no further than the super tech stocks that were driving the rally. Apple and Facebook both breaking out following analyst upgrades. Apple up double digits for the year and outpacing the broader market. NVIDIA surging after a $7 billion deal, sending all the semis soaring. So the market has been fighting to get back to the highs. Is it the tech stocks here to the rescue? Have they been the missing link so far in this rally, Tim? Well, those are some impressive-looking superheroes there. And, and if you want to look at, at Apple as being a culprit or the missing superhero, you can make that argument. You can make the same argument for Google. Uh, you can make that argument for semis. And, in fact, I would argue that, that tech has had a meaningful part of 2019. Uh, but, no, it hasn't been some of the names. And, in fact, Apple is interesting because, in fact, it's been so left out of the party and because, really, I think sentiment in terms of the analyst community, in terms of the investor community, is also very different. Um, if you look at other parts of mega cap tech, uh, and I would even look to some of the global tech players. I mean, Alibaba has outperformed the S&P by almost 20 percentage points. Meanwhile, the triple Qs, or the NASDAQ, has been flat to the S&P. So have they been missing, or are they defensive? Look, in a time when we're worried about earnings and, and the quality or the strength of earnings in a lower growth environment, big cap tech is the one place where I think you are defensive, and we've seen this at different times in this market. Karen? Well, I agree with that on, on a couple of fronts. So for me, Alphabet is the biggest position that I think is up maybe 13 or so, 14 percent. But flat to the, the market, year. right? Uh, ish, right. Not a big outperformer of the market. Um, to me, I think that is where value and growth are still, even up 14. I, I think it's that and Facebook, which we all know have as idiosyncratic issues. If they get some sort of settlement, though, I think that would actually be a big positive. But uh, for me, of all of them, I, I think that Alphabet is is the most appealing, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is further run. Remember, it is off a good, I don't know, 8% from its all-time high, mm-hmm. so it still has a lot of room to catch up. I think they're all no-touch at this point. All so, of so, them. All of so the answer, technology is no-touch, because you think you, the market's a exactly. no-touch. Exactly. So, so I think that it all hinges on the overall market. So if I think that the overall market is a no-touch, you can't buy the horse that got you here. So I think we're all in the back of tech. And I do not believe the worst is over. So I'm with you. I think the market is going to churn here a bit until we reprice this slower global growth. The market really hasn't really repriced the slow global growth and the slow economic growth in the U.S. So I actually get it why Facebook and Apple are up, right? Because those are the areas that you're going to get the growth. It's the only place you're going to get the growth. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the entire market has to rally or a, can rally. I have here. a question oh, here. You, you, oh, you, you, lots you of questions. Because some people are at home might be, thinking, might be thinking, hmm, I could have sworn that we were saying that BK was wearing a bull suit for a long time. And no, 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 no. I have been. Yeah, but for, I would say for the last week. two weeks or so, everything I've been much nervous, more bearish. But everything that got us but, nervous last week, 
is not over this week. I think you had maybe an innocuous news day. You had, you had a lot of things that were going right for the overall right. market. We had China falling off a cliff. We had the ECB saying there was no growth. And now we saw that sell off, and this is just a rebound. Well, look, well, I, go ahead, Karen. Well, one thing about the ECB not having a lot or no growth is that that has absolutely put the chill on the Fed. There's no question. I mean, uh, yep. so to me, that's, that is a big put under the market with the Fed absolutely out of the picture. But where is the strike price on that put? Right. Is it That's, out, is it out yes. of the money put? Yeah, I think probably that, some, but I think you have trade deal, which is a call on the market. So, and, and how much Fed do we have left in terms of a market rally? Because, you know, patience is the word. It's a great Guns and Roses song. It's also what we keep hearing about, what we need to be with huh. the Fed. And, and look, these guys, to, to their credit, um, I don't think are flip-flopping. I think they've been pretty bearish for a long time. I think it's been very easy. Look, we're on the show on Friday. That was 10 straight days of cyclicality down. It was easy to be very b- bearish last week, okay? Um, look, the same market is in front of us. You can make an argument today that technically you had every one of these major indices, NASDAQ back above the 200, uh-huh. S&P back above the 200, uh, EEM back above the 200, oil with a nice solid rally today. So, you know, you tell me. I, but I, I, think I just think it was positioning and sentiment exactly. was so bad. I, I think that it was so positioned to the extreme on the negative, mm-hmm. and let's just put it in perspective. It's, it can't really be to the extreme because we had an incredible run right off of the December lows. But to Tim's point, the, the pessimism got so entrenched that we were due for this. Okay, so let so me t- ask you this. Let me ask you this then. I mean, for these particular technology stocks that really led the markets in today's session, there were very idiosyncratic reasons as to why they mm-hmm. went higher. Apple got an upgrade over Bank of America. Facebook got an upgrade over Nomura. These were idiosyncratic stories today, which helped bring up mega cap tech stocks and in turn the higher the over, overall market. So if we are to believe that positioning got us to a certain place in time. Could positioning be the reason why it's time for these stocks to actually rally? Because sentiment may finally be turning on some of these stocks. On I mean, those particular on, stocks, though. But that's it, right? You can still have this churn in the market. Well, if it I does, mean, let's say you get a churn on that, then it takes the market. Yeah, if it does, yeah, if it does so change, Go ahead and though. buy them. Knock yourself out. I mean, but I'm, I don't <laughs> think that these, these, these stocks in and of themselves are saying the entire market is safe. You get a rally in oil, you get a stronger dollar, any multinational is going to get hit. But you could still see Apple go up because of the idiosyncratic reasons. Well, look, I, I, I think if people are struggling to look for growth and on a relative value perspective, it's not difficult to go grab Apple and, and, and Alphabet, as Karen's talking about. I, 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 the fact that the street is upgrading a bunch of names, I won't get the typical snarky response on thanks very much on Facebook after a 35% move off the bottom. Yeah. But, but what I will say is I don't think it's difficult to defend an upgrade here, especially in an environment. And again, I, I don't want to go through those reports because I didn't go through those two. But I will tell you that I think if you're looking for a place where, where big cap tech can overcome growth concerns, you just name two stocks that I think absolutely can do it. But you, you, you originally, though, when you talk about positioning, it's not only just positioning am, um, among your portfolio members, it's also positioning on the street. When you see these names rally back aggressively, you can't just sit by idly and wait. You have to upgrade these names. You have, there's a purpose that you as serve a, as, an as analyst a sell-side analyst. Okay. So, I, so I think they're forced to do it. I think they're a little bit late. You think so? You I, think I, I Bank do think of America, after downgrading the stock on November 2nd, had to upgrade the stock on March 11th? Well, why don't you just look at the chart, though? I think that he's looking at the chart, too, and saying, okay, we've seen this massive rally. Where am I on a lot of my different names? And a lot of times you're forced to make a decision. Not that he doesn't have true beliefs in it, but the, but the charts dictated a lot of their actions. 
All right. Well, then I would think that every single analyst on the street would have to upgrade a lot of their coverage universe <laughs> right. based on this well, rally once that we've one seen goes, on the bottom. Because, they, they because have in November, Wall Street 11, cheaps, Bill. 11 once two one goes, was before be a lot the massive more. decline, right? And so you didn't capture a lot of that you by didn't, then. I, But we also have seen this, and not, not to pick on analysts, but we have also seen it with strategists, too, right? <laughs> well, let's do that. I mean, so, <laughs> no, but they're in a tough position, right? Because what it, what it takes is their job is to analyze the company. It takes a long time to get through the procedures within a firm to change a rating. It's not just like they wake up and go, oh, I missed 35%. I better put a buy on it. There's a big process that goes in there. It's but a big process. Again, and I don't mean to insult them, yeah. but the point is, is that when you're stuck on the screen, you don't get the luxury of seeing a timestamp on it. A lot of times they'll just say, where is XYZ Bank on Apple? And you go back and you look, oh, they're a neutral or they're well, a buy. So I think they want to self-correct a lot of this stuff. Interestingly, on you know, November 2nd, when that downgrade was put into place, Apple was actually higher than where it is right now. So it, he did, the, this analyst to that person's, I mean, did sort of stick with it. The downturn. Yeah, I don't think that's, but the point is also strategist. I think, I think uh, that's actually. It actually not, captured the sentiment. It, it's right, not buying a well. stock after it's rallied. In fact, Apple's really underperformed. I think it's I think it's interesting to see an analyst get out there and kind of reassess this whole dynamic about it. Apple's ability to grow shipments or a stagnant top line, the services business, you name it. Uh, maybe just question it. What's the multiple for this stock? What's the multiple for the stock relative to the multiple of the overall market yeah. in an environment where the Fed is out of the picture and we weren't in a contracting multiple? Because that has definitely right. changed well, I, from November. Yeah, that should yeah. change, right. that should change the multiple. Dramatic. You put on the S&P. Right. But I mean, if they do granular good work on this, uh, you know, what makes this company, what the fundamentals are, I don't think they could be responsible for how the market euphoria. Or sure, sure. But when you look back right? on it, when I look back on a chart of Apple that's flattened out, and if I go back to January, it would have been important for me to hear that the fundamental story was a little more bullish from him in the starting days of January. And I'm not saying I don't want to make it about this one. I don't want to make it about this one. I always have this discussion with Carter. Does it matter what the earnings do? The chart tells you something entirely different. And it's a, the no, chart it usually matter. has everything into that price. So the chart, the, the price, price knows everything. That's why they say price is truth. All I'm saying is that when, the, when Apple stock look like, looks like it's flatlined for the last month and a half, it's an interesting spot where they want to upgrade the stock. I, my, I would bottom have been better. Line, my bottom line question is, has sentiment turned on some of these individual stocks? For instance, in this upgrade of Apple, and I want to be, be, you know, belabor this Apple upgrade, but part of it was, oh, do these higher price foldable, foldable phones actually provide price support for Apple's higher model? So it's actually sort of climbing this wall of worry about these high price phones that had been a, a pain point for the Apple story. And Facebook, you know, that analyst there said, hey, maybe regulation is actually a, a better benefit, an advantage for these larger platforms like a Facebook as opposed to some of the smaller platforms. So again, putting this sort of this concern that had been an overhang on the stock into the positive category by seeing, you know, the the right. And so it's a it's a sentiment shift. It's it's one of those type of things. But I don't think I don't again, I don't think that these idiosyncratic sentiment shifts, little changes in the marketplace or maybe potentially big changes in the marketplace necessarily translate over to the rest of the market. I think we're talking about a couple names here that everybody's in, don't get me wrong, that everybody looks at and and says, okay, if those are rallying, things are good, but they also buy them when they want to get growth and there's no growth elsewhere. So now you have an analyst coming out saying, you know what, something changed in these two stock stories. There's going to be some growth there that maybe you wouldn't get elsewhere. All right. Well, our next guest says don't chase tech here. <laughs> That's Brian Dan Suzuki, the portfolio strategist with Richard Bernstein Advisors. You would have said this on Friday, too, right? It's not just today after the, the pop that we've had in technology. Why? Why not? Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, you know, the most important thing that we, we key on at RBA is the fact that 
growth is slowing, right? And, and everybody thinks about, uh, you were just talking about how tech is considered this high growth name. You got to go there when there's nothing else. But actually, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the underlying data, actually, one of the nerdiest reports I ever wrote at my prior firm was looking at how all the sectors and subsectors of the S&P, how their earnings are correlated with 150 different macro factors. And what the interesting thing was that tech earnings were more cyclical than any other sector, including, uh, you know, when you look at manufacturing or industrials, it was more tied to like the ISM or more correlated with the ISM uh, than that, and, and the work that we've done at RBA also reaffirms that. So if growth is slowing, you know, that's going to hurt the cyclical stocks. And tech is one of the most cyclical stocks that people don't really realize. So if that's the case at RBA, rather than buy you know, a cycl the cyclicals, we actually think you should focus more on stable growth and quality, which are actually trading very cheap today. They're kind of out of favor. Uh, so I think that's the place to concentrate. Now, there are things to like about technology. You know, one of the concerns that people have for the cycle is credit. You know, they're the only sector in the S&P that has net cash on their balance sheets, so they're fine from that perspective. Uh, but I think you know, the bottom line, if their earnings start to roll over, uh, which you've already started to see signs of, I think that that's going to be, be reflected in the stock. So there had been some argument that technology was some somewhat defensive because of the cash on the balance sheet, because companies still have to spend to increase productivity in an environment like this, yeah, um, because they pay dividends now at this point. Uh, in your view, though, what is the most defensive sector, if not technology? I think right now the sectors that are defensive that we like the most are healthcare and staples. Uh, you know, healthcare, if you look at the underlying fundamentals, while tech is actually rolling over, you know, healthcare fundamentals are actually gaining momentum right now. So, uh, yes, some of people, some would say that healthcare is crowded, but I think the, the fact that, improve, that valuations are good, fundamentals are very good, I think that there's no other sector that has better beat percentages in the earnings than healthcare does. So, what you want from a stock is a, a stock or a sector that's going to beat expectations, and healthcare continues to do that. Staples is completely out of favor. I think that if you look at fund positioning, it's pretty close to a record low. Uh, and that's a company, that's an area, that's a sector that has stable growth. And I think that's what you want to key in right now, uh, given that growth is slowing. So I think those are the two. But even going beyond sectors, I think the biggest theme that goes across our portfolios is higher quality. So it doesn't have to be healthcare and staples, but if you find companies that have strong balance sheets, stable earnings, uh, and, and that's the type of company I think you want to own. Let me just push back a little on the sure. staples. Uh, it, so when you talk about growth there versus growth in technology, I mean, that's got to be a substantially more subdued number. Sure. At multiples that are maybe marketish multiples. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. But I think what we look at, it, it's all about relative growth, right? So if you look at the growth of technology, which is way up here, it's starting to slow. Whereas staples growth is here and it's not really moving that much. So if you look at that relative growth, you just like track one divided by the other over time. I'd say that those numbers are actually getting more attractive, despite the fact that from an absolute level, you know, technology's growth is better. I think a lot of that's priced in. Outside the United States, the last time I spoke to you was, I think, the beginning of February and you like China. Yeah. Do you still like China after the run that we've seen? I do. I think oh. what, we're, what we're looking at today in today's world is, you know, everybody was talking a couple of years ago about, about global synchronized growth. We're in a global synchronized slowdown, right? And so in that environment, you're looking for anything that's bucking the trend. And I think China is bucking the trends on all fronts. I mean, we look at profits, liquidity, and sentiment. I think sentiment for China clearly is improving, but it's still at the epicenter of people's concerns around trade, global slowdown, and credit. So people still don't want to own China. Liquidity, they're literally the only major economy out there in the world that's pumping liquidity into their economy. Everyone, in some form or another, is either slowing their, ease, uh, their, their, their uh, easing or they're outright tightening, right? So they're bucking the trend from that perspective. And then from a you know, s stimulus perspective, you know, you're, they're clearly the ones that are accelerating 
bring their stimulus by everyone and off. A lot of people don't realize that global growth is slowing this year, and we have all these articles today about global growth, growth expectations are basically the lowest since the recession. A big driver of that is just that governments are spending less this year. You know, they had a big couple of spending years, and they're easing off the gas pedal. That's probably the number one driver of the fact that growth is slowing today. And I think that that's the opposite of what China, that China is doing. So I think that uh, is very encouraging to us. Now, clearly the data coming out of China is getting worse and worse, but the forward-looking indicators that we're looking at, there's a lot more green shoots there. So I think from a risk-reward perspective, it looks very attractive, but I, I wouldn't say, you know, you back up the truck just yet, but I think it's worth an overweight for sure. Dan, good to see you. Thank you for coming Thanks, by. Guys. Dan Suzuki, Richard Bernstein Advisors. What do you like that Dan said? Or maybe well, nothing. I, what, I, what I like, I mean, so again, it goes back to, he's talking about tech in general. And I agree with Dan. If we get a global slowdown, tech in general, not just Facebook and Apple and some of those idiosyncratic things, but you get a global slowdown, you get a stronger dollar, you get stuff like that, that's going to hurt tech in general. And that's why, in general, I am more bearish than I was two weeks ago, right? I think that we haven't priced in all these problems yet, and tech will be at the forefront of it. I, look, I look at big cap tech and you still have the best peg ratio, so the price to earnings growth. And, and, and I don't think that's disputable. Uh, Dan makes great points. I, I do think that Staples, to me, look really expensive. I look at, I mean, some of the names he mentioned, great, but Colgate, you know, Procter & Gamble, Coke, Pepsi, you know, you name it. That's defensive. That's also really expensive here. I, I don't see a lot of defense there. Still ahead, check out shares of Boeing. The stock getting slammed today after its 737 MAX 8 model is involved in a second deadly crash. We'll tell you what has a trader so worried. Plus, take a look at this mystery chart. It's one of the most heavily shorted stocks in the market. Shares are up 80% this year. We'll tell you what is shredding those shorts. And later, major news in the pot space. Shares of Harvest surging after a deal that makes it one of the largest multi-state operators in the U.S. The CEO will be here to explain why this could be the beginning of a buyout frenzy. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Boeing falling today after a deadly plane crash, the second in six months involving Boeing's 737 MAX 8 plane. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in, in Chicago with the very latest on this developing story. Phil. And Melissa, any minute now, we should be getting what's known as a continued airworthiness notification for international carriers, also known as CANIC. That's the acronym from the FAA. Basically, it's the FAA saying, you know what? We may be investigating this. We may have concerns about this aircraft, but we still deem it airworthy. In other words, airlines should continue flying it if they believe that they want to continue flying the uh, 737 MAX 8. The black boxes with regard to the crash in Ethiopia yesterday, they have been recovered. Now begins the process of analyzing those black boxes. The FAA and the NTSB are both involved in this investigation. Meanwhile, there are airlines and countries that have said, you know what? 
We're going to ground the 737 MAX 8 until we have more information about what's going on. Who's grounding it? All the Chinese uh, flights involving this plane. The country has said no flights today. We'll see if that continues tomorrow. Same thing for Indonesia. You've also got Ethiopian Airlines as well as Cayman Airways, Comair out of South Africa. Just a few who have said we are not going to fly the 737 MAX 8 while we're figuring out what's going on. Here in the United States, you got two airlines that fly this uh, aircraft. Let's start first off with Southwest Airlines. And there's a pattern here. Look at how the stock recovered as you went throughout the day. Southwest has 34 of the MAX 8s. And we should point out, we heard the same thing from Southwest. And I talked to people at American today. They said the same thing, which is this aircraft is, is performing exactly as we expected it to perform. We don't see issues here. And that's why we can take a look at shares of American finishing positive for the day. Finally, take a look at shares of Boeing. Now, it was down as much as 12% pre-market. And throughout the day, it cut those losses. Why? In part because you don't know for sure that this plane is going to be grounded by the FAA. And in fact, this airworthiness notification shows that it's not going to be grounded, at least not for now, by the FAA. And also you've got this backlog, Melissa. One other thing. If you go back and look at Boeing shares back in 2013, remember the 787 battery fires? At that time, that stock got hammered when it first came out. And people said, whoa, this is terrible news. Nobody's going to fly on the Dreamliner. Look what the stock has done since then, and look how the backlog has grown. Not to say that this isn't a serious situation for Boeing, but this is not the end of the world that some people predicted early this morning or even last night when the first reports came out about this crash. What are the penalties, if there are any, Phil, for canceling a plane on order that's in the backlog? They work that out. The airlines negotiate that with, uh, with Boeing. It does happen. And sometimes it happens because an airline reassesses their financials and they they go, look, when we first placed this order for 50 aircraft, we thought things would be much better with our business than they are as we look at where we are in the order book and when we're supposed to take delivery. And then they negotiate that. And part of that is whether or not Boeing has somebody else who can step in. Is there an aircraft lesser who can say, yeah, okay, we'll step up. We'll take a few more of that particular aircraft. It's a constant negotiation between the airlines, the leasing companies, and Boeing. Okay. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau joining us from Chicago. Uh, Shares, uh, again, pairing their losses today. So this was selling off before we even got this news uh, today. It was off by about 6%. So the chart seemed like it ran out of momentum. I I believe that once a deal gets done, this has been the poster child for the trade deal. So it's been bullish going into it. I believe once the deal's done, you sell it off. Even throwing out everything that happened today, because I think there's over-exaggerations to the downside just off this headline news. See, I mean, look, this is some devastating uh, news flow for, for a company and for the world. But um, until this is proven, look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Boeing is one of the best-run companies in the world with one of the best balance sheets, the best free cash flow generation. Um, down at 370 where we traded, you, you know, you're down 16% off the top, which all other things being equal, uh, I think it's a gift. Now, if you want to look at the 737, it's an important part of their fleet. Uh, there was some inventory build in the last quarter, as you, if you looked at the 10K, and that was a concern. There's, there may be a little bit more here, and, and I think that's something to think about. But I will stay behind a view that I think Boeing is not as cyclical of a company as you think, and that the trade war, I think, was a much, much overblown kind of dynamic for, for their sales cycle. We were trying to engage in an interesting exercise today on our yes. call. We have a midday call every day for FAST. Um, and you're saying, are there equivalent situations right. in terms of product safety recalls for, uh-huh. for other sorts of things, whether they be cars or drugs or you know something right. else? Well, Phil, I mentioned the, the Dreamliner. We didn't have that this kind of
kind of impact, right? right? Um, I don't know. I feel like, you know, the stock is just where it was just a couple of weeks ago without, without this. And I, I sort of disagree with you a little bit. I think it is inherently a cyclical business. Maybe the cycles are longer. Maybe they're smoother. But I think it is somewhat cyclical. And so to have a completely non-cyclical multiple, right, uh, is... I think expensive still, and so, um, I mean, it is a great company, but I, I just, before this, unrelated to this, I just think it's expensive. I think if, you, if you're trading this for the uh, trade war, then maybe you stay away from it for now until you get some more information. If you have a view on Boeing like Tim does, that's great, stay in it, but if you're using this as a proxy for the trade war, given this news, you have to, it's a no touch. All right, um, so we are just getting this from the FAA. Uh, excuse me while I'm reading this. Uh, the investigation has just begun, and to date we have not been provided data to draw any conclusions or take any actions so far. So no actions being taken by the FAA. The planes will continue to fly for now. Uh, for more on Boeing's impact and its uh, fall on the market, its impact on the market, go to etfedge.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. You're a fake and a phony, and I wish I'd never laid eyes on you. Whoa. Wall Street's most hated stocks are surging. We'll tell you the names that are shredding the shorts and which ones the traders are buying. Plus, a big pop deal setting the marijuana space on fire. And it could be just the beginning of a takeout frenzy. The CEO of the cannabis company fueling the flames will be here to explain. Much more Fast Money right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. A hot trend taking hold of Wall Street as investors show some love to the most hated stocks this year. Let's get down to Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange with the details. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, some high short interest stocks are soaring this year. Take a look here. Bed Bath & Beyond, AMC Entertainment, Boston Beer, Snap, Mattel, they'll all have short interest between 19 and 32 percent 
but they're soaring this year. Now, short interest is the number of shares sold short divided by the shares outstanding. It's often used as a sort of quick and dirty way to see which stocks are most heavily shorted. High short interest is typically an indication of bearish sentiment. And in general, anything above 20%, very much on the high side. So when you see stocks that start moving up on relatively high short positions, that may be a sign of a short squeeze where the sellers are covering their short positions, typically because there is positive news events, maybe, or just sometimes because the overall market experiences a big valuation spurt, which, by the way, is exactly what happened in January and most of February. Snap, for example, is up more than 80 percent this year. Typically, the higher the short interest ratio, the bigger potential for a short squeeze. Now, one thing these companies have in common is that they're all consumer names. in companies in the beer business, some in the movie business. Be careful here. You have to be very careful interpreting results with heavily shorted stocks. There are plenty of weak companies that have rallied because the market moved up and they get helped by short squeezes, but then they fall apart again right after the rally. And here's another thing to bear in mind. These stocks all popped after their earnings announcements, and shorts now seem to be betting that the rallies won't last. Maybe we'll see. Still, many traders use high short interest as a contrarian indicator, betting that if everybody's selling the stock, it's got a good chance of moving up. Bottom line, Melissa, and you know this, being a short seller is a really tough business. Back to you. Certainly is, Bob. Thank you, Bob Bassani at the NYSE. Well, this feels like a perfect time to play a little. What kind of game? Trade it. Oh, that's right. Trade it or fade it. All right, let's kick things up uh, off with a snap. It's up 81%. So Grosso, trade it or fade it. I'm going to start off saying trade it. Let's get that animation out of the way. And we all know the negative headlines or the or the headwinds for Snap. I think that they're. This is all about positioning. No different than the overall market. A little more extreme with this one. I think that they're going to be able to grow revenues. Ad space, they're selling it. It's over a billion dollars they've made. So let me get this out of the way. Um, It's faded, (laughs) for sure. Um, And and again, I think it is because sentiment is so poor that you've had this snap in the stock. So Bob talked about short interest. I care about the fact that, you know, there was was cartwheels being done that the company's going to lose $150 million in free cash flow or have $150 million loss of free cash flow this year versus $165 million. I, I don't see this company making money anytime soon. We see stabilization in their growth metrics. Stabilization. That's not growth. That's not excitement. Um, They're not making money. And they had an opportunity with Facebook losing its mojo, having all this regulatory problems. If Facebook, as the analyst that we talked about at the top of the show, is coming out of that, then Snap could be in trouble if they're back focused on that. So I'm a fader as well. Next up, BK. Oh, right back to me. Right back to you. Trading or fading Boston beer? Well, as much as I like beer, I do have to fade this one. And it's not so much I have anything to have anything bad to say against Boston beer, but it's more of the market call on this, right? We've had a tremendous run-up in this name. The market has had a tremendous run-up. I just think this name gets hurt, just like everything else, if the market's going down, which is my view at this point. I thought what was going wrong with the uh, AB InBev story was maybe what is working in favor of Boston uh, beer. In terms well, of I was, craft, I was, right, yeah, craft beer. But I was going to ask about the cannabis story, is that... A potential headwind. Beer's my beer. department. Cannabis is Tim. <laughs> well, um, and, and beer's not my department. I quit for 47 days. But bottom line here is I think you've got a dynamic where you are seeing slowing top line for all the major beer companies. Craft beer has been outperforming. This company had their day in the sun. I think the time to buy the growth, the multiple's not cheap. I fade it. All right, moving on. Mattel, the toy maker, up 46% so far this year. So, Tim, 
Trading or fading? So, by the way, all the things I've said about these other companies that I've faded, people can throw right back at me right now on Mattel. Uh, Barbie, Hot Wheels, not so good. Um, I do think that the, the guidance that they gave recently that knocked the stock down from loftier highs um, was some misunderstanding about the multi-year turnaround, really, in this company. I think they say they can get back to 15% operating margins. I think they kind of can. I think the comps right now with Jurassic World and whatnot are really tough for them. But I trade it. Yeah, I, I, would, I would be a fader of this one. So... Uh, and the, for the reasons that Tim just talked about, the forecast, so if their guidance is overweighing whatever revenue or whatever sales they had in December that was favorable, the fact that they still survived after Toys R Us went out, I think that you've got to go with what the writing on the wall is telling you. Sell it. All right. Last but not least, Karen. Yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond, trading or fading? Uh, I actually would trade it. Huh. Yeah, I think that maybe, maybe it's perhaps turned. The reason that it's up so much this year is that it was down so much the year before, right? So it's a bounce back of a little bit of what they lost prior to that. I, I don't look at it as a really, you know, a huge outperformance. And just maybe things have turned. People called, you know, said they're dead. We've seen the Amazon effect not actually kill things that we thought would be killed, right? Like a footlocker, like the auto parts retailers. So, I, I mean, I think there are signs of hope here. The other thing it has going for it is they have some time in terms of their debt. It's, they, there's nothing coming due shortly. They do have a balance sheet that is okay. I'm getting fewer 20% off coupons myself. Uh, I don't know. Oh, that's a good sign. Well, that's, that should be it's good. a good sign I mean, for the stock. So you're bad trading it also. Yeah. I, no, I have no. Oh, you I'm have just no making an observation, no, 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 right, observation right, right. here. So, yeah. look, as much as I love scented candles and Guy loves potpourri, I'm going to fade <laughs> this one because I do think that they've got an Amazon problem. And I, I think that the multiple at this point after snapping back still isn't cheap. All right, check out shares of Stitch Fix, soaring more than 20% after hours, underscoring a key theme in the retail space this year. We will tell you what that is. Plus, Harvest Health and Recreation soaring today after the company made the biggest U.S. pot deal on record. We'll hear from the CEO right after this break. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Harvest Health soaring after the after uh, the biggest U.S. pot deal to date, making the biggest U.S. pot deal to date. The cannabis retailer will acquire Verano Holdings for $850 million. The combined company would become one of the biggest multi-state operators in the country. For more on what this deal is signaling for the rest of the cannabis space, Harvest founder and CEO Steve White joins us from Phoenix. Steve, great to see you again. Likewise, good to see you. Um, so with this acquisition, you're getting cultivation licenses, you're getting retail licenses. Obviously, your footprint gets a lot bigger. Can you speak to us about sort of the land grab that's happening right now uh, within the cannabis space, particularly before uh, banking opens up to the entire industry? Sure. Um, we're Obviously, the industry is very fast growing. Uh, presently, we're in a phase that people are referring to as a land grab. Uh, for Harvest, what we've told people that we plan on doing is developing the largest retail footprint, the largest retail platform in the United States. And with this acquisition, I think we've done that. In terms of the advantage that you might have right now, though, and I know that we've spoken about this in the past, Steve, that, that is that for companies who have the ability to do transactions without any banking, this is really helpful right now. I mean, in terms of you being able to go out before everybody else can, can have access to banking, to borrowing, to issuing debt, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the one of the reasons we went public was to allow us the ability to make acquisitions like the uh, acquisition that we announced this morning, uh, because we don't have traditional debt financing that you would find uh, if we had normalized banking in the cannabis industry. How many more deals do you have up your sleeve, Steve? <laughs> 
Uh, that's I a knew great I question. A chuckle. Chuckle. I, yeah, I knew I yeah. finally got a chuckle out of you and a, and a smile, um, Steve. So yeah, we. <laughs> We have a, suffice to say, we have a lot of them. Um, our M&A team is very active, um, and we're going to do every single deal that makes sense for Harvest and Harvest shareholders. Um, for us, we think it's really important to grow faster than our competitors, and so we're going to do everything that we possibly can in order to deliver on that. Is this a race against time in, in some sense, Steve? In, in some sense, it is. I mean, we're at a unique point in, in time where there are a limited number of licenses available, there are a limited number of access points into the, into the U.S. market. So we want to accumulate a num as many of those access points as we possibly can um, to execute the, the strategy to ultimately roll out our brands across that retail footprint um, and, and across the nation. Uh, Karen here has got some questions about the structure of this announcement, Steve. Uh, yeah, hi, Mr. Wood. Um, the question is, in the announcement it said arm's length transaction, and I was wondering, is there some overlap between harvest holders in Verano where it was very specific language what what is why did why do you have that phrase in there yeah that's a great question actually that phrase was added after a uh, regulatory review and a regulator required that we add that language to the actual press release so apologize for the wonkiness there aren't any related parties between Verano, Verano and harvest but that was something specifically that we were asked to add thank you Hey, Steve, it's Tim. Congrats on this deal. It's certainly a guy that said he's going to go out and do things, and you guys continue to do that. Um, what's most impressive about Harvest to me is how efficiently you've used capital to this point. You've been uh, able to acquire assets, acquire licenses at a fraction of what your competitors. Verano's cash flow positive. Talk about this being a different story than other players who don't have that profile. Yeah, Tim, it's a great question. Um, one of the things that we have been really good at is acquiring licenses when they're actually allocated by the government, which means that we don't have to go out and buy them later uh, for tens of millions of dollars when we can acquire them for a few hundred thousand dollars. What we've seen in Verano is they also have the ability to do that very same thing. Uh, what very few people know is they won more licenses than anyone in the state of Nevada in the, in the, most, the recent round of license uh, awards there. Um, it's also true that we have had an emphasis on profitability from the very beginning uh, of, of our you know, formation. And when we started talking to Verano, we, we got the sense, the very clear sense that they are like-minded in that respect. And so they have been running a profitable company for, for quite some time as well, which as you know in the U.S. cannabis industry is, is quite unique. Uh, there's only a few companies that actually run profitably. So in this case, you've just combined two of them. Uh, so there's one less. To that end, Steve, not every license, I, w I would imagine, means profitability for you. So how do you select which areas of the country uh, look like they are much more promising in terms of profitability and which areas of the country just don't make any sense for you? So it's becoming closer and closer to time where they almost all make sense. Uh, but for, the, the long, for quite a period of time, um, we didn't have a lot of access to capital. So we had to carefully look at whether or not a particular jurisdiction allowed us a path to profitability. If we could not find or we could not identify that path to profitability, we had to pass on it. Um, and so we've, got, we've become very good at determining what states, how a state is set up and wh what implications there are going to be for the eventual profitability of that license. For example, do they have all the right qualifying conditions? Do they allow all of the products to be sold to people? Um, the, all those sorts of things feed into our analysis of whether or not a license is going to ultimately be a, be a profitable one. All right. Well, Steve, thanks so much for joining us and uh, sharing with us the news of the deal. We hope you'll keep us posted. Steve White, 
the CEO and co-founder of Harvest Health. Uh, Grasso. I think that all these companies, as Steve said, are going to be on an acquisition hunt and they're going to gobble up a lot of the smaller players. And I think the best way to do it, I'm long Kronos and I'm long Canopy. Stick with those bigger players if you don't know enough about the smaller ones. I think they're going to get the cash injected and they're going to be the ones taking out future competition. It's going to be massive consolidation, especially in an industry that doesn't really have a lot of debt right now. Remember, this deal was done with all shares. And so it tells you also uh, currency that that you can put to work. Um, also distinguishes the U.S. players from the Canadian. I'll just say that the valuations are so different um, and you're actually seeing a lot of the U.S. guys continue to do accretive deals. I think the Canadian guys are doing accretive deals by buying U.S. companies discount, as well. discount to the U.S. players. Major. Yeah. Major. And, and I think there's a lot more value in the MSOs here. All right. We've got some more details on the FAA's plan with Boeing. Let's get back to Phil LeBeau. Phil. And Melissa, just a quick uh, update in terms of this Uh, continued airworthiness notification that was put out by the FAA. As we're reading through it, there's an important point a little further down from simply saying, look, this is an airworthy airplane. Uh, The FAA and Boeing have agreed that by no later than April of 2019, next month, Boeing will make enhancements to the flight control systems in the 737 MAX 8. We're not going to get too wonky here, but especially they're talking about things like activation enhancements for some of the uh, systems that are helping in specific uh, situations where the pilot might in the past rely on memory in terms of how to operate the airplane. They want that to be less about the pilot's memory and more about uh, overt examples or, or warnings within the cockpit of how the aircraft should be operated by the flight crews. Also signal enhancements as well as a maximum command limit uh, for the 737 MAX 8. And again, all of this has to do with giving the pilots, the crews, and the airlines a greater reassurance that any potential issues that might have arisen in the Lion Air crash and potentially in the Ethiopian Airlines crash won't happen again in the future. Having said that, Melissa, we still don't know the exact cause of what happened in Indonesia, nor do we know the exact cause of what happened yesterday in Ethiopia. But this is the FAA stepping up and saying, we don't see enough here to ground these planes. Furthermore, here are some of the enhancements we expect Boeing to make to these planes, at least by next month. I have so many questions, Phil. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it almost seems very confusing to the flying public. If you have the FAA saying that these planes are, are airworthy, they should continue flying. We don't know what's caused either of these two crashes, but we're, we anticipate mandating design changes by April when they don't, even, they don't even know really what caused the crashes in the first place. Well, these design changes were first identified during the Lion Air investigation. And it's been well accepted within the aviation community for a couple of months now Mm -hmm. that Boeing was going to be doing some software upgrades to the flight control systems, if you will, within the 737 MAX 8. In other words, at the heart of this discussion, Melissa, is whether or not this airplane reacts a certain way in certain situations when faulty data is fed into the airplane, putting pilots in a position where they have to go, okay, I know exactly what to do. And I've gone through all the training. What the FAA is essentially saying here is we want to see some enhancements here. So it's not relying on the pilot and the crew's memory. And it's more clearly explained Uh what to do in those situations. And we should point out, we don't know if those situations caused the Lion Air crash or the Ethiopian Airlines crash. Right. 
My second question, my probably my last question, given time, Phil, huh. is: um, Are these all software fixes, or do you think that these are physical? Unclear. I, my guess is it's a combination of software fixes. In terms of physical fixes, I doubt that we're talking about mechanical changes to ah. the 737 Max 8. We're talking more about um, alert notifications within the cockpit to better alert the crews in terms of this is what's happening, this is what needs to be done. All right. Thank you so much, Phil. Phil LeBeau. Uh, covering all the news out of Chicago. What a busy day for Phil. All right, so, BK, what's your reaction? I, I mean, my reaction is yours. I, it, it raises more questions than I had before we came into the show and before this information was out there. You know, what? it, it seems to me that do, is there something wrong that they know that they've had to fix? Has this fix been in the works? Will this be the one that fixes it? How many other times have we had these issues where a plane hasn't crashed, but pilots are reporting it? Again, for what it means for Boeing and me, it means I'm just not going to trade Boeing at all. All right. Still ahead, shares of Stitch Fix ripping after reporting earnings moments ago. That stock now up nearly 100 percent this year. We'll tell you what's behind the move. Much more Fast Money coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Stitch Fix. The stock up nearly 25% in the after hours, a company beating and raising its Q3 and full year revenue guidance. The clothing subscription company also increasing its client base now closer to 3 million active customers. Stitch Fix, just one of the names in this new wave of retailers leading the retail space this year. As of the close, shares of online retailer Wayfair up 89%. Stitch Fix is up 58%. Etsy is up 49%. So is now the time to check into some of these names, Karen? What do you think? Well, I don't know. Stitch Fix, I mean, those are some really good numbers. The revenue guidance is good. Uh, the revenue itself was very good, 25%. The biggest, most important number to this one is, though, the short interest at just uh, about 30%. This was not what you were hoping for if you were a short seller. Oh. This is the opposite of that. I mean, that's a whole lot of stock that needs to be covered here. Yeah. Are you on the vest subscription with Stitch Fix? Yeah, look, <laughs> they, I get a new vest every week. Um, you send back and, what you don't want, but you mostly keep They've actually asked me to actually create and design a few vests. So, you know, look out for that. Well, is that yes, the one you bedazzled? Energy stocks were nice back today track. after getting pounded last week. One trader just bet big bucks assert could continue. We've got the details when Fast Money returns. to Fast Money. Energy stocks rallying more than 1% today after getting crushed last week. And the move has one trader betting the rally is just getting started. Let's get out to Mike Cohen, San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so we were looking at XOP, which is the ENP oil ETF. We saw over two times the average daily call volume today. And a lot of that activity was concentrated in the April 31 calls, and that included a block of 13,000, which were purchased for just under 30 cents. The buyer of those calls is making a bullish bet that XOP could rise as much as 10% or more in just over five weeks. All right. Um, anybody else watching energy? You like energy. Yeah, I like energy here, too. And I think you've seen a lot of the short interest come out. In fact, you've seen new, if you look at CFTC data, fresh longs being put to work here. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Co. in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Ooh. Final Trade time, Tim. Yeah, we played that game buy or sell. Trade or pay it. Whatever. Buddy. I'm a buyer of Mattel. I've been there for a while. I stay there. Chairwoman. Yes. Uh, I like Capri Holdings, which is a, the new name for the Michael Kors company. Of all of the brands, this trade's the cheapest. I think it's way too cheap. Brian Kelly. Well, since we're playing trade it or fade it right at the end, I'm going to go in the oil sector. Transocean rig, I like that one here. 
Steve Grasso. General Electric, in four days, the stock is up 10% and still not overbought on an RSI. I'm still long it. You should be too. GE. I can't stand it when you guys, like, just annihilate the names of these games. It's very like, important. Why, well, the, the I mean, why don't we have a game what is, to call it Trader Fated? Twitter, people yeah. on Twitter are like, why don't you guys just call it what it should be called, which is like, no buy or, or sell. sell. You guys stop. are no <laughs> fun. That does it for us wow. here on Fast. See you back here tomorrow for more Fast. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.